Well, good afternoon to everybody here in the UK and uh, good evening to those in the Far East, India, and good morning to those in uh, the US. I'm very uh, glad to continue this um, uh, event. This is the, the last stretch uh, during um, uh, the time between now uh, and uh, five o'clock UK time. We're continuing the, um, the themes from, um, from yesterday and today, and particularly uh, looking at, at, at the um, Dhamma teachings relating to some of the, the questions that were, were asked um, about. Uh, yesterday, there was a question about, uh, uh, about not self and, and things that belong to us. And um, the, uh, um, the, the, in many ways, the, the nature of discriminative consciousness. So when we're talking about finding a balance, exercising a skillful effort, effort attuned with, with reality, then um, uh, that attunement is directly related to the amount of attachment and identification that is going on. So that if there's a lot of me trying to uh, wake up or trying, me trying to focus my mind, me trying to get rid of defilements, uh, me trying to be enlightened, then uh, there's necessarily that, that amount of me-ness and I-ness and minus will create a lot of, of distress and dukkha. Um, as the Buddha said, uh, manyati, conceiving is a disease. It's like a, a cancerous tumor. It's like a, a poisoned arrow. Uh, conceiving, you know, I am as a conceiving, I should be as a conceiving, you know, I shall be as a conceiving, you know, uh, I used to be, I want to be. These are all conceivings. The mind is conceiving uh, self-view and uh, uh, mana is the word for conceit, manyati is to, to be conceiving. So that, that uh, di the discord, the, the uh, disharmony in the heart is directly related to the degree to which that those feelings of I and me and mine are invested in are taken to be solid and real. And then the, the more free that the, the heart, the mind is from the influence of those conceivings, then the more in tune that this life is with, with Dhamma, with reality, with, with nature. Um, so that uh, uh, along with that, uh, the, 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 solidity, the solidity of the feelings of self the, the mind creates the world of things, like this computer, which has now come back to life again. So if I'm looking a little bit different on your screen, it's because my, uh, my previous keyboard had gone into some bardo state and was not, was not sending messages to the computer, but uh, I've been refreshed with a new keyboard, so I'm back on the, uh, the main gadget now. So I probably look a little bit different on your screens. So forms change. Um, things change. And uh, as I was saying yesterday, for those of you who remember, even to use a word like thing, which implies like an ongoing independent uh, object or entity, is an approximation that rather the word sankara or formation, it's more describing an event, a coming together of particular patterns that uh, hold together for a, a certain amount of time, and using a word like computer or keyboard. <laughs> Perhaps my old keyboard is no longer a keyboard. It could now be a paperweight. You know, <laughs> it's keyboardness 
has temporarily vanished or maybe permanently vanished. But um, it was a keyboard yesterday and today it's, it's, uh, it's not a keyboard at the moment. So uh, we ascribe, we give solidity and, and substantiality to events and call them things like computer or person or world, galaxy and so on, or Buddha Dhamma. You know, we we uh, create the world of things through our conceiving mind. The mind makes that kind of solidity and believes in it. And then, uh, then we are surprised when things change. The things that we like change and, and are gone, so we feel disappointed. Or the things that we don't like are here and they won't go away and we feel burdened or, or stressed. So it's helpful to, uh, say, to see how the development of insight meditation, vipassana, uh, seeing the emptiness of things and the emptiness of, of the feelings of I and me and mine, that uh, the more that emptiness is recognized, the more there is a natural attunement of the heart to the living situation we're, that we're in. And then the more that this life can be used to, to function freely, uh, again, in terms of, of effort and engagement, and uh, maybe also related to that question this morning about the distressing events in, in the world, in, in Asia, but also yeah, in yeah, Europe, in the Americas, and uh, all, yeah, all over the planet, really. Um, so how can we most effectively act in the world, do what uh, is, is possible with, with these lives of ours, but yet not be creating suffering out of that? And I, I feel that uh, the Buddha's life is a very, very good example. Yeah, after the Enlightenment, he sat under the Bodhi tree in, in that area of Bodhgaya for a little while, you know, a few weeks, but then after uh, a short time, he was motivated by compassion. The, the Brahma deity Sahampati came along and said, you know, please uh, share your understanding for the benefit and happiness, the welfare of, of those who have just a little bit of dust in their eyes. And the Buddha responded to that and then spent the rest of his life, the next 45 years, traveling around Northeast India and sharing his, his understanding. So he was very active and very engaged. He established the monastic community, established the lay community. He uh, laid down thousands and thousands of Dhamma teachings, of Vinaya discipline. Um, he was incredibly creative, imaginative, and responsive to the situation he was in. And all credit to his extraordinary uh, skill in establishing, uh, say, so, uh, social forms and structures that uh, were viable and, and long-lasting because they're here with us today, more than two and a half thousand years afterwards. Still, I'm still wearing the same robes that the, the Buddha was was wearing uh, two and a half thousand years ago. Um, we are, are using the same structures of teachings and, and forms. It's amazing uh, how creative and thoughtful and, and on the mark the Buddha was in terms of what will aid the human community and the world, and how can that be... Uh, say, structured in order to last effectively through long periods of time. So the Buddha was very active, but also very effective and, and very thoughtful and attuned to what would be helpful. So that even though his heart was completely liberated from all delusional suffering, that did not lead to passivity. <laughs> it, it led to, to engagement, uh, but he was, never, he was never busy. And also sometimes if you, if you read the suttas, sometimes he'll give an extensive Dhamma talk, and then at the end of it, uh, then at the, at the end of the teaching, rather than saying, and the, you know, the, um, the monks who were gathered there were delighted in the Blessed One's words, or the, 
the people who are gathered delighted in, in the Buddha's words. Um, sometimes it says, and the, and the monks who are gathered did not delight in the Blessed One's words. You know, they, <laughs> they took offense at the teaching and, and were upset by it. And, and uh, they were not impressed or inspired. But the Buddha didn't create suffering in himself if he gave a talk and then uh, and then it was rejected or people didn't understand. It was um, He did what he could and then left it to people to make of it what, uh, what they were able to. And so that uh, I feel that's a very good example of, of what I was saying this morning in terms of we do what we do and we recognize that we uh, we can't uh, control the world. We can't make people feel the way that we'd like them to feel. We can't take away the suffering of others, but we can uh, provide the tools whereby people can say, uh, uh, say help their own lives uh, to, um, to be structured in more helpful ways. They can help them to change their understanding so they can create less suffering for themselves. We can, we can do a certain amount, but uh, the, the way that the world is is not under personal control. So I feel that uh, with insight meditation and, the, and um, the, the development of uh, the, in, the recognition of the emptiness of self, the emptiness of other, then our energy, our capacity to act and to do is far more naturally in tune with that, and that quality of mindfulness is recognizing, okay, there's something that can be done here, or there's nothing that can be done here, or I need to take the initiative, I need to lead in this situation, then no one else is stepping forward, okay, I guess I should. Or it might be that, okay, someone else is leading, they're doing a good job, okay, I'll step back and just follow along. So that, that the way that we exercise energy, the way we make choices, the way that we guide our lives is based upon that fundamental attunement guided by mindfulness and, and wisdom. Well, I would say that um, most perfectly by that holistic mindfulness, uh, that com comprehensive full mindfulness, then that, that indicates where it's time to speak up, time to be quiet, time to step forward, time to, to step back, and time to let things be uncertain and, and uh, to leave things alone because at this moment it's not clear what is the, the best way forward. So that uh, uh, with, with respect to this, it's a, the, we're changing the, the attitude of the mind to the world of things and to the world and to the perception of who and what we are. We're not essentially not taking life personally and not uh, looking at the world in rigid and fixed uh, uh, and say um, predetermined, preconditioned ways but we're, we're freshening up the attitude towards this being and towards uh, the, the, the world around us. Uh, one of the, um, uh, the, again, in terms of, of establishing effort and working with the mind, and I was saying this yesterday and, and earlier today, that if we can learn how to make effort free from self-view, then that, that engagement with effort is joyful, it's invigorating, it's delightful, it's not stressful. And so, uh, again, sometimes we feel that, um, oh, thank goodness it's Friday, I can't wait for, the, for my retirement, or I can't, you know, when this is over, then I'll be able to relax. Notice how even in the meditation, often the most peaceful mo moment of the meditation is when the bell rings. <sighs> and not just because you can unlock your legs, but because I don't have to do this meditation thing. Even though meditation is for peacefulness, even the doing of meditation can be a thing I'm doing, I'm supposed to be doing. And ding, ah, it's the end of that doingness and there's relief. So we can live our whole lives 
with that quality of relief and uh, and stress stresslessness because it, there doesn't have to be that sense of obligation or I am doing I should be uh, I've got to be um, but rather effort can be made completely free of conceit and self view and that the more that is uh, is carried out in that way then um, the, the more joyful our life is, even though we might be doing a lot. Uh, so that uh, uh, one of the, the teachings that Ajahn Chah gave that helps us to say, see how much we, we do personalize our actions and our, our work and, and uh, the things that we do in terms of meditation or, or our, our family life, our working life. Uh, one, uh, uh, one question at the end of his life in his latter years, when people came to visit Wat Bapong to see him, he would he would ask a question. He'd say, if you can't go forward and you can't go back, you can't stand still, where do you go? Where can you go? And you might say, well, can you go, uh, can, can you go sideways, Lumpur? He said, no, you can't go sideways. But can I climb a tree, dig a hole? He said, no, can't climb a tree, can't dig a hole, can't go forwards, backwards, uh, or stand still, or go sideways. And then, people would be sort of stuck with this puzzle, this conundrum. You can't go forward, you can't go back, you can't stand still, you know, where do you go? And he was putting this uh, very profound teaching on non-abiding into ordinary everyday language that people uh, could relate to. But still it was a puzzle. So if you can't go forward, you can't go back, you can't stand still, where do you go? And it's somewhat related to that comment that the Buddha made to that deva, you know, by by not, not pressing forward, not, not standing still, that's how I cross the flood. So it doesn't specify <laughs> so what he does. So in, if you ponder, if you, if you reflect on that, that puzzle, that conundrum that Ajahn Chah offered, if you can't go forward, you can't go back, you can't stand still, where do you go? What it does is it holds up a mirror to the assumption that I am a person who exists in, in a particular place and, and passing through time from past to present to, to future. That's what I am. And so as long as the mind conceives the reality of things in terms of identity, in terms of location, in, in terms of time, then there's no solution to the puzzle. It's when the mind lets go of, of attachment to time, to location, to identity, then the, the, the puzzle is solved. That what is real, uh, the Dhamma is, is, uh, that is real, is timeless, it's akaliko, it's unlocated. The, the, you, you can say the Dhamma is everywhere, it's nowhere, but really, awareness doesn't apply in the realm of, of the, 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 uh, the mind, and uh, especially in the domain of the unconditioned mind. Location doesn't apply. The, the mind really has no relationship to three-dimensional space. That doesn't sound a bit too spacey. <laughs> but three-dimensional space relates to the world of form. In terms of mind, what, uh, what's, what has space or location got to do with that? Where does your mind begin or end? And right now, I'm sitting here in this kuti in Amravati, but I'm also in the living rooms of 69 people all over the planet. So where am I? Am I here at Amravati, or am I am I uh, in your in your living room? Where are you? You might be in Sweden or in Wisconsin or in in Maidstone, 
but you're also in Hertfordshire, in Maikuti, in Amravati. Where are you? <laughs> so we have a dispersed sense of identity nowadays, particularly with information technology. So this might all sound a little bit impractical, but uh, it's, I would say, uh, it's a, a, a very helpful way of strengthening the practice of vipassana or insight, because we need to illuminate the assumptions that we make about, I'm a person, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I live in Hertfordshire, my, my, this is my kuti at Amravati, I, I live uh, in this place, this is my name, my nationality, my age, I'm 64 years old, my parents were Tom Horner and Pat Horner, um, that's who I am, I have two sisters, you know, I live in a mon <coughs> monastery with 65 people. So all of those I am's, I have, these are mine, uh, those are, are convenient fictions, they're conventional truths. I can say this is Hertfordshire, back in the early 70s, this was Bedfordshire, they changed the county boundaries. <laughs> this Amaravati Monastery was a school owned by Bedford, Bedfordshire County. Before that, um, uh, it was part of St. Margaret's Farm. Uh, before that, <laughs> and so on and so on. Uh, 1500 years ago, this was the kingdom, we were in the kingdom of Essex. Essex was a, a separate kingdom to East Anglia, uh, across the, the, the River Thames, there's the kingdom of Kent and then Sussex. Yeah, the, where am I? Am I in the kingdom of Essex? Am I in Hertfordshire? Am I in Bedfordshire? Am I in the deathless realm? You know, where am I? <laughs> so any kind of naming of this kind that we take for granted, you know, my name is, uh, is Jennifer, or my name is Natasha, or, you know, my name is Malcolm, that's who I am. Well, no, it isn't. <laughs> that's a, I would say that's a convenient fiction. That's a name that your parents came up with, or you came up with, or your friends came up with. One of the, 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 the very first retreat center manager here was, uh, his name was David, uh, David Babsky. And we, took, we found out a few later, years later when he signed his name that uh, he, uh, he signed it B. Babsky. And said, why, why, have you, why, has your, why has your signature got B. Babsky? He said, well, my real name is Bruce. But when I went to college, for some reason, people thought my name was David. So they called me David. So I stopped using Bruce and just used David instead. <laughs> so, you know, who are you? So the, to bring attention to how solid we make things, and our own life, our story, and to challenge that. This is a way of, of say, giving more power, more validity to the, the quality of insight and strengthening that, that wisdom factor that sees that, that uh, I am a person, I live in this place, uh, I, I am so many years old, and to see, well, these are just convenient fictions. And again, one time somebody came to Ajahn Chah and he said, they said, Lumpur, uh, how old are you? Do you live here all the time? He said, I don't have an age and I don't live anywhere. If you have an age, uh, if you live somewhere, then you're someone. As soon as you're someone, then you create suffering. Don't, don't be anyone, then you won't create suffering. So he, he wasn't someone who could tell a lie. He was known as an arahant, a totally enlightened being. So when he says, I have no age, that's the voice of, uh, of the Dhamma speaking. It was a real Dhamma teaching, or a, a Dhamma desana, a demonstration, an embodiment of Dhamma. So that's the Dhamma speaking. The Dhamma has no age, it's timeless. Where is it? Awareness doesn't apply. So in the development of insight and also helping us to work effectively in the world, 
the more that we can recognize that these habits of naming and identity and, and the way that we create the world of things, this is just a collection of convenient fictions. And if that is seen through, the more that's recognized and known, then mysteriously, the more we, we, don't, we stop taking life personally, then the, the more effectively we can function. The, the more we stop, uh, I say, uh, identifying our, uh, our, the mind entangling itself with the person, then the more that person can function effectively. It's a strange and ironic, mysterious thing, but that seems to be the way it works. Again, I was talking about compassion, the Latin roots of the word compassion. The, the, the Latin root of the word person is from the Latin persona, meaning a mask, like that you put in front of your face, like a, a face covering. That's a persona. Per means through, sona is sound, that which the sound goes through. So right there in the word, at least the English word, for a person, it's a mask. <laughs> this isn't really who and what we are. It's a performance. It's a mask. It's a, a presentation. And so that then the, the development of insight is letting go of identification with the mask as being female, as being male, male as old, as young, as having a, a nationality, an occupation, uh, a list of achievements and problems and, and so on and so forth, to see that these are not absolutely who and what we are. And so then the more the mind challenges those habits of identification, the more the heart is, is genuinely freed. And then the, the choices that are made are guided by mindfulness and wisdom, rather than by me deciding to do this than, than to do that. But that, that decision-making, choosing, it can really feel like it's me <laughs> deciding to do this rather than that. But when it's looked at, it's explored uh, in its essence, even making choices is, uh, uh, say, that which is guided by mindfulness and wisdom, attunement to the time, the place, the situation, and that there isn't really a, a, a person that is the, the doer, the agent, even though it seems very much like that. So I would, uh, I would say that the mind, uh, an easy way to think of this is that the mind is Dhamma, it's not a person. Uh, that is the fundamental nature of mind, is Dhamma itself. So if the ego grabs hold of that and says, I'm the Dhamma, that's what I am, that's just another thought. <laughs> that's a, 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 a set of words we put together. I, the, my true nature is the Dhamma, that's what I am. That's an idea. It's an idea that might match reality, like saying, in, uh, today is Sunday in the UK. Yeah. Okay, there's a conventional validity, but the, uh, the words, you know, I am the Dhamma, or the Dhamma is my true nature, is just a, a collection of words. The realization of that uh, as a, a directly known and felt uh, experience, that is uh, something that depends upon the practice of Dhamma. So that not just giving voice to the Dhamma as a verbal teaching, but embodying Dhamma, being Dhamma, essentially, to use the practice to uh, say, not just think about that or have that as an idea, but to embody that quality of of Dhamma itself to, in a sense, discover that that's the fact. There's always been the fact. It's not like you weren't the Dhamma, the mind wasn't the, of the Dhamma before, and now it is. It, it got a supply of Dhamma from somewhere, and now it's been installed like a new computer program. It's like, no, that's the that's the, been the, the fabric of the, the whole thing from the, from the get-go, because of the mind's preoccupation. 
with our education, our family, our loves and hates and pains and pleasures, we, that wasn't realized or wasn't appreciated. So in, in uh, the development of insight uh, and the, the, the practice, then there's a letting go of these different aspects of identity. The, uh, the, the, the owning self, the feeling of mindness, which is related to, uh, which is uh, related to craving. It's, these are called the, the papancha dhammas or the causes of mental proliferation. So the owning self, that this is mine, this is my body, my mind, my, my dwelling, you know, my day long, <laughs> that feeling of own, the owning self, then the being self, I am a man or I am, uh, 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 I am speaking, I, I am feeling. That the the the, the feeling of the, the quality of self based around the sense of being, and then the narrative self, how uh, our name, our story, our nationality, our age, and when someone says, "Well, who are you?" and you say, "Well, I'm a doctor," or you know, "I'm a retired teacher," or "I'm a Buddhist monk," uh, that uh, these are all uh, aspects of conceiving that eye making and mind making. Um, also, the deciding self, you know, the, 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 the me that seems to be choosing to do this or that. So these are all appearances or apparent qualities of I and me and mine that need to be let go of. So that they're called the, the papancha dhammas or the gaha, the, the obsessions. And, the, and they are related to, to craving, conceit and views. And then also letting go of, of time. Uh, that. Uh, past, present, future, letting go of that, letting go of, of causality, cause and effect, because that also depends upon time. That uh, Lumpur Cha would describe the same quality of non-abiding when the heart is truly awake, then he said it's outside of cause and above effect. Nok hate milpon in the Thai language. Uh, outside of cause, above effect. So that embodying of Dhamma, then the, the heart is leaving behind the whole realm of, of cause and, and effect. And then also letting go of location, letting go of where I am, that even the feeling of here-ness you know, that, that is recognizing, well, that's, that, again, that's a convenient fiction. It's an, it's an approximation. It's not a, an absolute truth, the sense of being here or being there. And like in that conundrum, that puzzle that Lumpur Cha gave, you can't go forward, you can't go back, you can't stand still. Where do you go? Or as the Buddha said in the in the suttas, in the Udana, in chapter eight of the Udana, he said the, that there is the unborn, the unoriginated, the uncreated, the unformed. So, in, and in that that dimension, that ayatana, that sphere of being, there's no coming, no going, no standing still, no dying, no no reappearance. And so then, that's a, the kind of teaching that Lumpur Cha was was. Um, say, expounding upon in that, in forming that, that puzzle, that, that question. The, in that ayatana, the, the, the dimension of, of, the, of Dhamma in its ultimate nature, unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, unformed, there's no coming, no going, no standing still, no dying, no reappearance, no this world, no other world. <laughs> and, so, so, and he said, this is the end of suffering. This is the end of dukkha. This is the total freedom of the heart. So there's letting go of identity, letting go of time, of causality, letting go of location, of space, uh, of form, uh, all these 
things that we, we sort of very much make up our sensory world, this place, my desk, my screen, <laughs> my, uh, my garden, you know, the, the, it's in, uh, my mind in here, the world out there, all this here and there, these are conventional creations. They're, they're um, ways of speaking, they're modes of speech based upon the experience of the sensory world. They're not absolutely real. So this quality of freeing the heart from identification is letting go of space, of form, of, of, of uh, location. And then uh, the most, I would say, most refined level is also letting go of language. You know, the, uh, the way that the world is, is seen and known is also conditioned by language that we use. The words, uh, whether we, our first language is, is English or Polish or Hopi or Sanskrit, you know, or, uh, or is Hindi or French or German or, or Chinese. The way that we form uh, the experience of the world is heavily conditioned by language. So you have, uh, I like to talk about this, um, uh, the Amazonian tribe, the Piraha, who have no fixed words for color. They don't, they don't have any, any numbers. They're, they're non-numerate. They have no concept of number. Um, they, they, you can't talk about a person who is not uh, in, in immediate view, that if someone isn't visible, if they walk around the corner, you stop being able to refer to them because they're not present. <laughs> so the whole way, and they're very, they're, they're very uh, effective and functional as a, a human community, but they don't have number, they don't have fixed colors, they, they, don't talk, they can't talk about people if they're not present. And, and a historical event can't be referred to unless you were uh, physically present for it. There's a, a, an interesting book by a Christian missionary who was sent out to try and convert these good people to Christianity. And he was trying to tell them the story of the Battle of Jericho, about how you know, the, walls came, the walls came tumbling down the, uh, at, the, at the Battle of Jericho. And uh, so he's describing this, and, they, and so then the people uh, he was talking to said, wow, that must have been really loud. You know, what did that do to your ears? He said, I don't know, I wasn't there. This was thousands of years ago. And as soon as he said he wasn't there, it was not, he wasn't an eyewitness to the walls of Jericho falling down, then it's just, like the words are sort of dissolved into pixels, like had no meaning. Not like we don't believe you or we're not interested, it's just, <laughs> meaning just evaporated, value evaporated. So language and even number, you know, maybe there's a few mathematicians or uh, programmers uh, in amongst uh, the group here today, but, and we might think of mathematics as a sort of primal and absolute language, but um, even mathematics, I would suggest, is, is a, a human formulation trying to describe patterns of experience and relationship, but it's not an absolute reality. So that there's a lot to let go of. <laughs> In short, the identity, time, location, language, number, but that uh, if we recognize the array of identifications and entanglements that are present, then they can be known. If they're known, then they can be let go of. If, we, if it's not known that they're there, it's not known they're having their influence, then they they carry on having that, uh, that apparent solidity and, and they 
they, they form boundaries and barriers and burdens in, in our hearts that we're not aware of. So by being able to name these different areas of identification and attachment and being able to sense that, to know that, to feel that, then uh, by, by that uh, awakened awareness being brought to those areas, then the, uh, the attachments can dissolve. So those are my opening reflections for the afternoon, and we can now have a, uh, a sitting uh, a period of sitting meditation for about 45 minutes. So please get yourselves as comfortable as possible, and we'll have a sitting till till 2.30 UK time. <laughs> 